Hey listeners, I'm your host, Daniel Schroeder, and this is the Biotech and Breweries podcast. Each episode, I'll share a beer or two from one of San Diego's best breweries with a leader from the biotech community as we try to make sense of the science behind some of the amazing biotech companies that call San Diego home. This week, I had the chance to talk with Andrew Rudd, founder and CEO of Palm Therapeutics. We had a couple beers from Alesmith Brewing and talked about his company, Palm, and their work with lipids. We also talked about how to tap into grant funding as an alternative to venture capital and what the company hopes to accomplish over the next five to 10 years. I hope you enjoy. Here we go. Andrew, it's nice to see you. Thanks for making time to come on the Biotech and Breweries podcast. Thanks, Dan. Really excited to be here. Uh, it's not that often that I get to drink uh, drink during work, so looking forward to it. That's, I think, one of my main motivations here. It's like, how do I figure <laughs> a way to to make it okay to have a beer at like three in the afternoon on a weekday? Yeah. So, <laughs> so here we are. So today we've got some beers from Alesmith. And uh, when we were talking before this uh, conversation here, I think you mentioned that you kind of have an affinity for Alesmith. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'd love to love to maybe have you give a little background on the brewery and then we can talk about the couple beers that we picked out. Sure. Yeah. So I think Alesmith was probably one of the first breweries that I visited when I moved to San Diego. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a ton of great breweries in San Diego, but this is one that I particularly like. They have a wider variety of beers, uh, some really good, good stouts, but then, you know, they just, they do a good job and they keep the variety up. So there's always something, seems like there's always something different and new when I go there. Uh, and then, yeah, just the, their location right on Miramar is, uh, is a great little location, good food. They have the, um, their own little like Tony Gwynn hall of fame there. So you've probably seen their, um, they have their, uh, 394, yep. um, kind of Friars ale, their, their yep. Padres, uh, ale there. And if you go and visit, um, their actual tap room and brewery, they have, uh, you know, a really cool, uh, it, and it's pretty large too, a little exhibit with a bunch of, uh, memorabilia from, from Tony Gwynn and some other Padres. And so, yeah, if you uh, if you're in San Diego and you haven't checked it out, it's a good place, good place to go. I'll plug, uh, plug their, uh, their tap room. But yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. I have, I haven't seen the Tony Gwynn, uh, shrine i guess there i'll have to go uh, have yeah to go it's essentially it what it is <laughs> yeah i will say i think you know being a san diego sports fan i've got a soft spot for tony Gwynn, and uh, there's not there's not many like iconic san diego sports uh you know athletes that we can kind of point to in, in mm-hmm. san diego sports history and that's he's definitely at the top of the list so that's mm-hmm. that's that's a big name for them to be able to have kind of uh connect you know themselves connected to that's great right so you mentioned real quick that the you think they do a good job with variety, which is perfect yeah. because we I think have picked two very opposite beers to try mm-hmm. today. So we've got the Alesmith Nut Brown, which is an English style brown ale, and it mentions it's got from a tasting note perspective, it's toasty and it's got cocoa and biscuit notes. So I don't think I've ever seen one that's got uh, mentions biscuit as a flavor. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, I'm wondering, is that like, you know, British biscuit cookie or is that like, are we talking Southern biscuits and gravy? I guess we'll that's find a good out. point. Yeah, I'm not sure. We'll have to, uh, if you can pick it up while you're tasting, maybe you can answer your own question there. But um, <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to tell the, I'll be able to tell the difference either way. Um, all right. So while we're while we're kind of trying the first of the two beers here, um, and hopefully I'm not going to catch you with your mouth full. 
but would love to have you just kind of walk us through your background, kind of where, where you got your start in the world of life science and, um, and kind of what brought you um, to San Diego and, and brought you to, to start a company. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm originally from, from Illinois. So I grew up uh, mostly most, basically most of my life uh, in a city called Batavia, Illinois, which is about 40 miles straight west from Chicago. Um, Grew up there, went to undergrad in Minnesota um, and just kind of discovered really a a love for kind of chemistry and biochemistry there. And um, looking for, you know, realized I wanted to go into grad school, really wanted to pursue research as a career. And really looking for graduate schools that had a really nice meshing of kind of chemistry and biology or chemistry and biochemistry um, in their curriculum and in the actual research that was going on. Um, UCSD was really one of the the top schools there that that fit the bill. And so um, interviewed out here, ended up loving it. And yeah, moved here back in September of 2013 uh, to start my PhD at, uh, at UC San Diego and was there for five and a half years, uh, doing the PhD. And during that time, you know, had opportunity to do uh, really a lot of, uh, exciting research, you know, kind of build, build an interest in, in really, um, you know, both fundamental sciences, but also more applied, uh, you know, uh, potentially, um, uh, kind of uh, translational work. So really some, some research that I felt uh, could really be impactful, you know, in, in uh, human health uh, and medicine. And so that's, um, it was kind of at, at that point that um, when I started making some of these, these discoveries in the lab that I really got interested in trying to, you know, essentially commercialize this. And so spent a lot of time trying to learn about what, what did that really mean? Uh, because this is something that um, I had not really thought about uh, up to this point. And so it's kind of, I'm nearing the end of my PhD. I'm thinking about next steps and, you know, really, really excited about the research and the technology that uh, I'd have been able to develop, you know, during my PhD and saw really the kind of, um, you know, startup, uh, you know, the, the, that, that avenue as really the best way to try and push that technology forward and really do something, uh, uh, exciting. So you, you mentioned the lab discoveries. So I've always been kind of curious to know. So as, as that's happening and you're, you're kind of making progress in the lab, then you said that the idea kind of came to potentially commercialize, Mm-hmm. What your work. So mm-hmm. is that something that you personally thought of? Is there, is there a professor or someone kind of looking over your shoulder that's pointing out, Hey, this may be viable as a business or, or how does that, how do you kind of go from one step to the next in that? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I can, I can speak to at least how, how it happened for me. And so um, it, it, maybe you're aware, maybe you're not aware, but uh, generally the way that um, kind of a PhD in the hard sciences works is that you get accepted to a program. And then kind of during your first year, you take some classes, you check out some different labs, and then you kind of commit to um, one 
professor's lab where you're going to do kind of your dissertation research. And you essentially, you work in that lab, you do research that is somehow related to what the, the lab is funded for, um, as well as kind of broadly what they're interested in. And for us, that was really um, uh, a class of molecules called lipids. So these are the molecules that make up, make up fat. So your butters, your oils, uh, but they're also really important because they're the molecules that make up uh, your cell membrane. So the actual container that, that uh, uh, you know, holds all your cells together and separates, you know, self from, uh, from the environment. And it was kind of along those lines of really basic research, trying to develop tools to understand that biology better. They just kind of stumbled upon some molecules that really had the potential to um, go after uh, kind of a new type of drug target. And so what that means really in, in, you know, what we hope that means down the line is that we're able to kind of develop treatments for diseases that have traditionally been very difficult or impossible to, to make drugs for. That's great. And so prior, I guess, to, to kind of being selected or joining that lab and you, you lipids are clearly kind of the focus. Mm -hmm. Was there an interest in that type of work or that in, in lipids, I guess, specifically prior to, is that what led you to kind of join, join that specific lab? Uh, yeah, yeah, partially. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So in my undergraduate work, I was in a lab where we were kind of doing some basic research that, uh, was more interested in, you know, uh, obesity and diseases like fatty liver disease, uh, diseases where you have kind of an excess storage of fat, you know, in your body or in your cells. And that's, uh, you know, as I mentioned, that's, those are all tend to be lipid based. Um, and so because of that, I kind of had that familiarity, uh, and some of those, uh, skills going into my PhD. Um, and it just so happened that, uh, the group that I joined at UCSD is professor Neil Devaraj, uh, his group was doing some really interesting things with lipids, but in a different angle. So actually the, the first project that, um, I started working on there was we had some funding from the Department of Defense to do uh, like artificial cell research, artificial life research, essentially. So it's kind of one of these like high risk, high reward, pie in the sky type of grants. And the real, the thrust of it was like, can we start to build little pieces of, uh, you know, technology that could potentially someday allow us to make like a completely synthetic organism? for example, like we make a single celled organism that's completely synthetic. Um, and it's kind of interesting because when you start thinking about biology that way, you no longer have to abide by the rules of biology. You can just think about very fundamentally and abstractly, how can we recapitulate the same behavior, but potentially using uh, different tools that may have some advantage or at least maybe are just more, um, you know, accessible or, or tractable um, from, from, uh, is the uh, research perspective. That seems, I mean, for, for someone without a science background, like myself, that, that seems like it'd be, I would have no idea where to even begin to start thinking about that kind of thing. It seems like an impossible task. And mm -hmm. did it seem that way when you were getting started or how big of a task did that feel like? Yeah. So, I mean, certainly, and I think maybe I have more appreciation now of just how 
grand a task that is, but, and I think even going into it, you know, the expectation wasn't that you're going to come out of this project with some kind of artificial cell in hand, but it was more, um, and oftentimes this is a way I think that a lot of the best science occurs. It was more like a kind of this grand idea and pursuit as a way of really framing advance more, you know, smaller, but important advances in, in the field. So yep. you really, it forces you to think about this and break this down into what are the, you know, the smallest, uh, you know, pieces of, of the puzzle here. Right. So maybe you say, okay, a living cell has to divide, right? One cell has to become two, has to become four so that it can continue to propagate and live. And so, okay, in order for it to divide, what does it have to do? It has to copy a bunch of things in it. Um, from the lipid perspective, what we got really interested in is that you kind of have to have this, this one membrane become two separate membranes. So you have to, uh, we became very interested in like these, this pinching off and separation um, so you can almost kind of think about like, you know, um, I, I don't know, like, like, uh, like two, two bubbles splitting apart or, or something like that. Um, we became very interested in like, is there a way for us to control that behavior in a very simple system? Like, how could we, you know, uh, recreate something that's capable of uh, division? Uh, and that, that became really one of the, one of the big projects we were working on is developing different tools to, to accomplish that. So you're looking for baby steps. You're not looking, you're, yeah, not trying exactly. to, you're not trying to cure a disease on day one. You're trying to see if you can inch forward a little bit uh, and make progress that could be maybe helpful in other ways, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you're in the lab uh, at some point you kind of decide there's a commercial uh, opportunity with, with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. How, wh- how did you go from there to then starting uh, your company Palm? Yeah, sure. So um we had the this technology and the, the technology essentially is is the same thing that that palm was developing and uh, what we're able to do is to make these small molecules that uh, target something called protein palmitoylation which is essentially a lipid that's attached to a protein and uh, our drugs are able to um, basically remove remove that lipid and why that's really interesting um at a high level is that it allows you to actually um, inhibit a lot of interesting, you know, protein drug targets. And so we kind of initially had this initial report where we're just looking at, okay, is this actually possible? Can we make molecules that do this? We don't really care what they hit. Uh, We just want to see if this actual approach is feasible. Turns out it was, and then, you know, just kind of started diving into the literature uh, looking into what had been done before and realized that there's a lot of very important proteins that, um, you know, that uh, the field is interested in drugging uh, because they're, you know, either like the sole driver or they're a very important component of, of a disease. And so there's really a, an active search for, uh, for inhibitors of some of these proteins. And what was really interesting is that many of these like difficult to drug proteins or proteins where we know we really, a, a drug is really needed, but none is available. They also turn out to have the same kind of uh, palmitolation. And so in our minds, that became very attractive as a drug target, because now we, uh, we can think about trying to access a lot of different disease relevant targets uh, and really 
uh, applying this technology in, in a lot of different areas. And so, yeah, I did that, um, had some discussions with my advisor, Neil. We talked to some other uh, professors and colleagues who had, you know, spun out companies before. Uh, and really just after some of those got excited and decided to, to incorporate. Um, and that was the easiest part. <laughs> <laughs> Filing the paperwork, you hired yeah. an attorney and then you, you cut someone a check and then you're done. You got a company. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the company was formed at the very end of 2018. So we were on paper, um, we were incorporated in late December, uh, 2018, but you, did you go out and celebrate that night or was it like a, uh, <laughs> a, a scary thing? Like, Oh my gosh, now I've got all this pressure. I, I think, um, I, it, it was exciting. Uh, but I, I was aware that there was, it was pretty far to go at that point. And yeah. I think that's kind of illustrated by the fact that I then spent the next two years basically trying to secure funding to, to really get us off the ground. And that's, that's what we were able to accomplish um, in late 2020 and then really launch uh, January of this year. So to, to back up real quick before I ask you about uh, the company and kind of where you're at today. So when um, you'd mentioned that as you're thinking through the commercialization opportunity, um, that there were some disease targets that you, you thought you could use the technology uh kind of towards, I guess, what, right. what are, what are, what are a few of those just as a couple of examples, just so listeners kind of are aware of, of kind of what, yeah. what this is capable of, of doing. Sure. So the, the first disease indication that, uh, that we're going after, and it's what we received our first, first, uh, SBIR grant for, um, is a, a certain form of melanoma, um, skin cancer. And what really the issue is here is that you know, skin cancer is generally in the early stage. They're pretty easy to treat. You can just resect them, um, cut them away. And, and generally that's an effective treatment. What really becomes difficult is when they metastasize and spread to different parts of the body, because we really don't have a lot of good drugs for, uh, the disease at that state. So that, I mean, certainly there's, um, probably the most prominent one. And I'm sure you've, you've probably heard of this, but Keytruda, um, is probably the, that's the first line treatment now for, uh, for metastatic melanoma. Um, it's a, um, immunotherapy and while it is somewhat effective, it's still the five-year survival rate of the disease is somewhere still around like 15%. So it's, it's really is, you know, more or less a, a death sentence at that point. Um, and so what's really needed is, you know, more therapeutics in this area and, Traditional chemotherapeutics don't don't tend to work very well with melanoma, and so there's been a big interest in trying to develop targeted therapies, and that's really where we came into play is is going after a certain genetic subset of metastatic melanoma and trying to develop an inhibitor for that. Um, and the, the target is called is called NRAS. Um, it's a, a member of this class of RAS proteins, which is probably one of the most well known. Um, uh, uh, oncogenic mutations. Uh, and so we've been trying, you know, in our, uh, first indication to develop really the first ever NRAS inhibitor. Um, secondly, uh, and this is the second project they're working on is we've had some really good success in, um, trying to develop therapeutics for, uh, at least in the early stages, 
um, for this uh, orphan childhood disease called CLN1. And this is a disease that's caused by a, um, a deficiency in one of the proteins responsible for removing these palmitoid groups from proteins. Uh, and so essentially we're developing small molecules that uh, can, can act in place of that deficient protein and kind of restore a healthy cell behavior uh, in those patients. Um, but yeah, outside of that, there's a lot of other directions that, that we're pursuing. Um, but that's, that's kind of what's been publicly disclosed and, uh, really the two areas we've, we've got some funding around and are very excited about. Yeah. So, um, so it, was there a day where you got to call your parents and say, Hey, mom and dad, you know, I've, I've decided to try to cure cancer. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't know if I've ever used that those words, but because <laughs> if um, it was me, that's I would definitely make that phone call. <laughs> I would also tell all my friends, "Hey, like you're welcome. I'm going to cure cancer." <laughs> um, yeah, I think certainly when uh, it all felt real when I got kind of the first notice of award for our first SBIR uh, for for the cancer indication, um, and yeah, it's it's kind of excitement, but then it's also like a lot of anxiety because you're like, "Oh wow, now I actually have to do." What, what I yeah, said I was going right. to do, right? You spend yeah. all this time writing, you know, in our case, we're, we're acting, you know, strictly off these, this government funding, writing these grants, fine tuning them, addressing reviewer concerns, this and that. Um, but it's all on paper and then you get yep. the money and it's like, oh, wow. Okay. We, it's time to execute. Um, yep. uh, and so that was really exciting, but it's also the time where I felt like, okay, yeah, this is actually happening. Yep. So, so you launched the company, the company, we kind of joked that, that, that really meant that you had an attorney file some paperwork to kind of form the corporation. Uh, how, how big was the team? Was it initially just yourself or did you have a couple others that were alongside you? Yeah. So co-founded it with myself and, uh, and my advisor. Um, and that was really kind of the team from, from the beginning. And, you know, I kind of, um, uh, taken kind of the lead since then, but yeah, it's really kind of us as, as kind of founder and scientific co-founder. And we've slowly added to uh, kind of our pool of advisors who've, you know, really been helpful in kind of key steps along the road. So we bring on our first advisor and he was really instrumental in helping us navigate um, uh, like IP negotiation with the university. So we've got to now negotiate, which is, is kind of weird, weird to think about, but you, you know, I, I, and some other people invent something at the university. It's that intellectual property belongs to the university. Now I want to go use it for something else. I have to go and negotiate a contract with the university to, to use. buy your, buy your research. Buy, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so that, that's, uh, that was interesting, but then, yeah, just, uh, some help in terms of trying to put a more professional team together, um, uh, really get, get some of the, the pieces we need at least uh, for the early stages in terms of thinking about, you know, medicinal chemistry or, or the business side of things. How do we want to try and use kind of our limited time and resources here to really, you know, ratchet up and, and make us self-attractive, make ourselves attractive for that next round of funding. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's kind of where, where we're at now. Um, yeah. So we have a, a team of um, there's currently for four people who uh, are employed by Palm Therapeutics, 
um, including myself. And then uh, we have a handful of um, kind of strategic advisors on both the uh, scientific and, and business side. Yep. All right. Well, I'm, I want to hear, we're going to keep that train of thought going. Hopefully we don't lose it, but we got to pause it real quick so we can, we can try this other beer we got as well before we get too right. deep into the conversation and forget about it. So, all right. So we had the nut Brown, which I like, and yeah. I, I do taste the cocoa. I taste some biscuit, but I don't, I can't tell what type of biscuit it is. I'll be honest. So yeah. did, you, did you figure that out? <laughs> it was, yeah, it's something a little, a little malty. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely a solid brown ale. There we go. And I like it. But all right. So number two, we're going to shift gears completely as far as beers go and try the L. Smith Limeberry Twist, which they've got listed as a raspberry lime ghost ale. But it, to me, I kind of think of this as a sour when I try it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the tasting notes mention that it's tart. And then there's berry and citrus flavors. So uh, I think this is a nice, really good contrast to the first one and and very, uh, very different for sure. I'm not, I'm not usually a big sour guy. I think you said you, you kind of are. So this, Mm -hmm. but I like it. It's nice. It's nice. So nice change of pace. Yeah. So, I mean, it's tart first, which (laughs) that's the first tasting note. And (laughs) I think that is uh, right on the nose. Uh, but no, it's really good. I like, I kind of like these um, funky, bright, sour beers um, quite a bit. And what's, and I tried this one a little bit, a little bit before. And what I like about this is that there still is a little bit of kind of that beer taste in there. Sometimes it just tastes like, like a cider almost, or right. not really like a beer, but this, this seems to kind of retain a little bit of that, uh, that beer characteristic. Um Yep. You know, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but this, <laughs> this, I don't, I don't this is my description. It's, I think, yeah, agreed. I'm not, uh, you know, there's a, there's a science behind the beer crafting uh, industry, but I'm not an expert in, in that either. So, but I like it. It's fun to drink. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So hopefully I didn't completely throw us off track on the train, but uh, the train of thought, but so you, you'd mentioned a little bit about uh, funding uh, clearly, you know, after you formed the company, you've got now you've got four employees you had to have raised some money somehow to get from yourself to four employees so what what was that like really from the get-go i was pursuing two kind of different avenues of funding and without really having too much experience about really what was realistic for us based on the stage we are i was pursuing both these government sources of funds uh, which are called sbirs and then uh, also looking towards uh, more angel investment or kind of early VC investment. And I had a bunch of discussions with potential investors, but it was all kind of, I uh, came back the same way, too early, too early, too early. And so really then focused most of my efforts on trying to secure funding through through these government sources. And so what we what we applied for are these grants called uh, SBIRs, which are small business grants that are given out to um, to companies in the U.S. and they're given out by uh, actually every different every government funding agency has some budget for SBIRs. So NIH is one of the big. Well, NIH and DoD are are the biggest, um, but then ever uh, there's a ton of other. Um, funding agencies who, that also give these out, Department of Energy, NASA, a bunch of others. 
Um, but, but for kind of health sciences and therapeutics, NIH is really the, the main place to go. The way this works is you put together this proposal that states really what are the, what's the research and development that you want to do. Um, you convince them that this is an area of, you know, real unmet need, you know, in the clinic. Uh, and then you spend a lot of time kind of garnering support for that. So you might put in things like letters of support from potential investors or from patient, ad- patient advocacy groups, advisors, consultants, that kind of thing. So you put this, this team and this uh, proposal together and you send it in. And then hopefully six months later, <laughs> you get a check. I was wondering, so it's a six month, I mean, there's obviously some time that goes into the preparation, but then is it really a six month waiting process from when you've submitted your proposal? Yes. If you're lucky. Okay. Um, if you get it the first time. And so really kind of the strategy that I've followed and I think I've done this. Yeah. So there, there's three funding, there's three funding cycles each year. So three or three due dates rather for the grants. And so I think starting in since September, 2019, I think I've submitted at least one SBIR every cycle. Okay. Um, so yep. I think part of it is just, you know, putting, putting these out there and getting some feedback and trying to get, get something funded. And we were for, kind of fortunate that our technology has a lot of different potential diseases, indications to follow. Uh, so I'm able to kind of write grants around those different, uh, different projects. But yeah, I think part of it is just uh, keeping at it and, and, and keep working and revising until, uh, until you're able to, to get the grant. Um, so some of these are, are pretty competitive. So I think the, the year that we got the NCI grant, um, the cancer grant, I think the success rate was like seven or 8%, um, for that one to get, to um, get approved for the grant. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, they're they're competitive grants, but I think once you once you learn how to to write them and kind of what the reviewers are looking for, it, it becomes easier. So I think it has gotten a little bit easier each time I put one of these together, but uh, still, yeah, it's, it's a process. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just I think kind of a testament to the country we live in that you're able to, you know, get funding, you know, no strings attached funding to do this kind of work, start businesses. You know, so we've raised basically a million dollars of non-dilutive capital without giving up any of the company um, and just, you know, through through these government sources of funding. So I think that it's really just uh, kind of a, a blessing and an opportunity to um, be in a place that that values, you know, the small business creation like that. I would imagine. I mean, it's great to see that the government is willing to give out money to companies or to people that are trying to do something that could potentially like be, you know, be world changing if it was successful. And obviously they know that it's a numbers game. Not everyone that gets this money is going to end up achieving what they're hoping to, but, um, but that's, that's huge. And for you, I mean, the difference, as you mentioned, because the money is non-dilutive instead of having to sell this, this brand new company, maybe sell half the company to raise the money that you need to stay afloat for a few years, it allows you to retain control. That had to be huge. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, so now that you you're, you've got your fears in, you've got a team of four, is there, is there a milestone or two that you guys are kind of focused, locked in on that you're trying to, are you trying to achieve something specific by a certain date or kind of what's, what are the next steps for the company that you guys are looking at? Yeah. Yeah. I think in kind of a, 
uh, without going into too many details that we're going to start putting uh, some of our drugs uh, into some mice at the end of this year. And so we're really excited to be doing some of the first in vivo studies with some of our new compounds. Uh, so that's, I think, something we're really looking forward forward to. And we uh, expect that to be really a huge kind of inflection point for our company. So I, I would say that's really kind of the biggest milestone on, on the horizon. Uh, we're also kind of engaged in in a, in a hire or two right now. Uh, so we are growing as well. So probably those are the two biggest things happening right now is, you know, alongside just pushing forward uh, the sciences as we're growing a bit and uh, looking forward to kind of taking that next uh, step in development. Yep. And so when you're going to do the studies with mice, do the mice have melanoma or is it, um, is it a little bit more yeah. basic, basic uh, study than, than that specifically? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of the, the, mean ways that you do kind of these initial in vivo studies um, is, yeah, you you do what's called a mouse xenograft model, which essentially means you take some human cancer cells and you implant them into the side of a mouse, uh, and then you administer your drug and you hope that it either shrinks or slows down the growth of that tumor uh, as compared to something that you didn't treat with drug. That's one of kind of the, the basic in vivo cancer studies you can do. And that's um, kind of the idea for our first uh, first studies there. Um, but yeah, I think it's always, you know, we've done some initial studies beforehand before we started this, but it's always exciting to to be able to kind of demonstrate that there's potential there because it's a huge hurdle. Just uh, it's one thing for things to work, you know, in vitro, right? In in just some isolated cells, it's a whole other thing for them to work in, in an actual uh, organism. I'm always shocked, as I'm sure most are, to see how much money it costs to run studies like that. Uh, is Does the grant money get you to where you need to be to, to conclude or to, to run that study? Or, or is there a, a fundraising focus kind of outside of the grant money? Yeah, so we're able to do kind of some initial work with our grant. Um, and we're kind of planning to kind of step step from that to to a higher raise. But uh, in terms of just kind of what I would say are more kind of de-risking and proof of concept studies. Uh, we're currently equipped to, to do that. That's great. That's great to hear. Uh, so looking forward, you obviously have the, the mice, the mice study being an exciting thing that you're, you've gotten kind of the near term here. If, if you could, if you had a crystal ball, where do you hope the company is and maybe even you are personally in 10 years? Yeah. I mean, I think really the grand vision for what we're doing is to have a whole kind of class of of uh, of drugs that are able to target different palmitoylated proteins. You know, we're very excited. We're really kind of the first players in in this area going after this this palmitoylation target directly. Um, and there's really just a huge number of uh, uh, potential disease indications that we can go after. So, you know, in ten years, ideally, you know, there's a uh, FDA approved drug that came out of Palm. And then there's lots of, lots of other uh, exciting stuff in the pipeline. That's really what, what we're shooting for, but trying to take it one, one step at a time and put ourselves in the best position uh, to be there. Yep. You stick, stick into the baby step strategy. Yeah, exactly. You kind of have to. All right. So I've got, I've got one more question, but before I ask, uh, I'm curious to get your take on the two beers. I, I know the nut Brown is kind of the incumbent favorite with you. Did the limeberry twist uproot the nut brown and become your new 
favorite beer from Alesmith or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, you know, I guess I'm going to sidestep that question and say it, it's going to, it's going to be a, uh, a kind of depending on how I feel that day. You know, I think the the nut Brown is a nice, um, kind of cozy beer. It feels like more a holiday beer. Yeah. Uh, it kind of like that, you know, stoutier kind of sweet, creamy beer there. The sour, or I guess the goose here, uh, I'd say that's, that's more of, uh, that seems, seems more, more summery kind of outdoor beer. So I think it, it really depends on what I'm feeling that day. Today I'm feeling the, uh, the, the sour though. The okay. raspberry lime goose. Yeah. That's, okay. that's what I'm feeling today. We're kind of between seasons a little bit, depending on yeah. the day. It's either, it could be tomorrow could be a hot one that feels like summer still. It could be a colder one that feels like we're getting into the winter. So I, I can see how you'd be on the fence about, you know, depending on the day. So, okay. Last question. And this is a broad one. So I'd just love to hear your thoughts on the San Diego biotech or life science landscape overall. Um, and if there's anything beyond that that you want to add about about Palm and, and kind of any, any message you'd like to leave for the listeners, would would love to would love to hear it. Yeah, so you know, this is uh, my first venture, and and we launched in San Diego, and I think it's it's really been a great environment for us. I love the location. There's a ton of biotech going on here, and it seems that it's continuing to grow. The resources that we're able to you know, the facilities and, and resources that are available to us uh, at J Labs, where we're located, uh, have been been excellent. Um, and so, yeah, generally, I I, I really uh, have enjoyed the the environment so far. I don't have any plans on on really leaving. You know, there, I think there's always chatter about, oh, you know, there's not as much VC interest as maybe in San Francisco or or in Boston. But I think it doesn't. You don't have to look look far to see a ton of success stories in San Diego. So I think you can kind of just look around and, and uh, prove to yourself that this is a place you can be successful. That's a, that's a great message. I, I think you're right. I think San Diego obviously has done very well, especially from a fundraising standpoint over the last few years. I think there's a lot of room to grow. Hopefully we can catch up to the San Francisco's and, and Boston's of the world in, in not too long. Well, Andrew, this has been great. I really appreciate you making time to come on and hopefully we get to catch up with you again soon. Yeah, Dan, thanks so much for, for the invite. Uh, this has been great. Uh, thanks for the free beer. And yeah, I'd love to, love to talk again soon. Great. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Visit biotechandbreweries.com to stay up to date on the latest episodes.